weird thing is, right, just as I was talking about sending WhatsApp messages to my brother, he sent me a WhatsApp message. <gasps> Whoa. Mind blown. But he didn't phone me because he knows <laughs> that the protocol is you send him a message first. User error 60. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back. And we've made it to an arbitrary number that doesn't mean anything to us because we started in the mid-50s, I think, or something. Anyway, uh, nothing to mention up top, so let's get straight into it with a hashtag ask error. And it's a simple one. What is your biggest claim to fame? Dan, what's yours? Uh, I mean, I guess that would be like elementary OS, right? Biggest claim to fame? Like what people know me for? Is that what we're talking about? No, what we're kind of talking about is, um, well, either the thing that you've done or more realistically for most people, it's like the most famous person you've interacted with in some way, not just kind of met and got a selfie, but I don't know. What, what's your definition of claim to fame, Popey? I can't help but think this is all orchestrated so you can tell us a story of how you met someone famous and me and Dan haven't met anyone famous so we don't fit in with this little clique. Am I right? It has absolutely nothing to do with the story that I'm about to tell. Oh, you're just asking like who that we, well, I met a guy that went to space once. That was, that was pretty neat. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I think Alan knows him. I know a guy who's been to space. Yes. Oh yeah. I wonder if it's the same guy. I'm probably (laughs) something with a mark something. Yeah. So apart from being like Z list internet celebrities, you haven't got anything else. You haven't got any other stories for this then? Not really. Uh, I I mean, other than the voice of a terrible voice assistant. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's actually a pretty big claim to fame. There are literally tens of people with voice assistants with you coming out of it. There are literally tens of people with voice assistants in cardboard boxes on shelves that do not say anything in my voice, yes. Yeah, that don't sound anything like you. Yeah, no, that's pretty good, actually. And I suppose Elementary Ice is a pretty good claim to fame. Here's another one, though. Uh, I did a bunch of uh, branding work for a restaurant once, and uh, so I was in the restaurant with somebody one time, and one of the servers came up, and uh, the person I was with goes, hey, that logo on your on your shirt right there, he did that. Wow. That was, like, awkward, like, cool, nobody cares, what do you want? Did you say I'm a pretty big deal in the design department? I, I didn't, but I was like, yeah, that's my logo, it's on your body. I once had, uh, in, in, like, the professional workspace, I had a couple of occasions where it was like, yeah, I'm actually quite a big deal. Um, <laughs> when I went for a job interview somewhere, and uh, the guy I was interviewing to work with I taught him on training courses and his boss came in to interview me and said, okay, so uh, Bob tells me you taught him everything. So uh, I think we're done here. You got the job. (laughs) I was like, okay, thanks. Nice. Um, So that's quite nice. Yeah. But other than that, no, I don't have a proper fame fame. What's yours then, Joe? Uh, Now you've put me on the spot. Okay. I uh, met and jammed with Brian May of Queen fame once. Who? Wow. Brian May, the guitarist from Queen. The Badger Man. Yes. And um, it was just like some charity event thing. And somehow I managed to be on the drums and he's playing guitar. And at one point he was kind of playing guitar and he looked over his shoulder at me and gave me that, yeah, look, as we were jamming. And that is the best moment of my life. And I'll never get any better than that. Wow. That's really awesome. That is awesome. See, it was worth all of that just for that. All right, you win. Yeah, I look forward to the next question uh, we have next week where you tell another anecdote that is great. (laughs) Awesome. Look forward to it. Welcome to the Boost Joe's Ego Show. (laughs) Right, let's talk about internet drama and Linux. There was a little bit this week which I don't think we should go into details of because fuck that guy, quite frankly. But 
it speaks to a wider problem of the peanut gallery, as you like to call us, Popey. Um, I'm sort of on one side of this. I'm trying not to be that clickbaity drama person, but it's sometimes hard to do that. So I suppose this is your chance to bash me and the likes of me for making your jobs harder. Well, to be clear, the peanut gallery, I say ironically because it's something Jono once said in a blog post and he got so much shit for it for for like having a pop at the peanut gallery and uh, people didn't like that so I only say it invoking Jono ironically just to be clear um but yeah those peanut gallery uh they there's some I don't know what it is it's not it's not just Linux it's people who are passionate about a thing and when they're passionate about a thing and someone in their community does something that's not the direction that they wish to take, then they get really annoyed and they, they, they voice their opinion. And because the internet is a wonderful device for people to shout their opinions at other people, they use it, you know, in the past, they might write a letter to, um, points of view on the BBC if there was a television program that wasn't to their liking. But now they, they've just got a pipeline directly to you, whether it's your email inbox or your Twitter feed or whatever. And they can just tell you directly that you suck and I don't like this thing that you're doing. And they will take every opportunity to do that. Don't you just delete their emails, mark them as spam or block them on Twitter or whatever, or mute them? Isn't that just the simple solution to it? Uh, you, you could. You certainly could. And I've seen like... Looking at it outside our our area, you look at members of parliament who are getting harassment for, you've got like 50% of the country who want Brexit and 50% who don't, maybe. And the harassment that, that uh, members of parliament get either on Twitter or via postcards sent directly to them or whatever, you know, you, you, some of these people are your constituents. Some of these people are your community. Some of these people are your users. And whether you like what they're saying or not, you're going to end up hearing it. And sometimes those people have a voice and they share that, uh, that opinion with other people and it gets shared around and around and it gets amplified by the audience because this person has a voice and it feels like maybe they're right. You know, I, I remember back in the part a long a long time ago when we used to make architectural changes in ubuntu like 10 plus years ago there were things people said oh this is the beginning of the end you, you wait this will be the last release of ubuntu like 10 years ago when we removed gimp from the iso or something like that it was the beginning of the end and it was a catastrophe and it's like well maybe but probably not and and it, it's very difficult to just block it all out. I mean, yeah, I could just block everyone and delete their emails, but that's quite a lot of people to block. But isn't there a distinct difference between clear misinformation and strong opinion? So, for example, when Unity came along, you could have a strong opinion that it was shit compared to GNOME, or two or three, whatever you wanted to say. And you could say that, I don't think that, Ubuntu will be successful as a result of changing to this thing that they've made because it's shit. And that is a a strong opinion, whereas misinformation would be, I don't know, they're moving to Plasma Desktop and that's going to sink them when that's just not true. Right. And in a community project where people pick up on like little tidbits of information here and there, and then that is now fact and they spread that far and wide, uh, 
um, it's it's very easy for that to become the truth because someone found it a, a snippet that someone said somewhere in a bug report or whatever. Um, and it's difficult to counter that, you know, unless you've, and with any open source project, unless you've got like a decent PR department or a, you know, someone who's out there constantly monitoring all this stuff and, and telling people, you know, XKCD386, someone on the internet is wrong, then that misinformation spreads and it's, and it, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating. I, I, you know, I'm fine with people having an opinion that Unity sucks. It's fine. I don't care. Use something else. It doesn't matter. But, Saying that it does this thing that it clearly doesn't do, or it doesn't do something that it clearly does do, or it's the reason why this happened, and that's just, you know, you're not informed. And I think that's part of the problem, is people aren't very well informed and make logical leaps to some conclusion and then spread that conclusion, and that's that's partly where it comes from. So, Dan, have you ever had any shit for your macOS clone? Oh, geez, Joe, let's not go down that route. <laughs> I think one of the um, the hardest things that we're always struggling with, though, is deciding when and how to engage when misinformation is spread around. Because you never know, is it just this small pocket and it's going to stay small? And if we talk about it, we'll make it a bigger deal than it would have ever been if we just ignored it. Like, that's kind of a hard thing. But it is frustrating when we're always trying to make sure that our communication is going in a specific direction that is very consistent, that we're using very specific language, and then to have things be like misconstrued or misrepresented. It, it is hard because you want to, you want to make sure that the people that we're trying to reach have the right information, but you don't also want to come across as like, these guys are a bunch of pedantic dickholes, you know? Yeah. And, and if you leave it, like, you know, what you were saying about leaving it or do you pounce on it straight away? There's also the fact that you've got your own life as well. And sometimes these things happen in the middle of the night and you don't hear about it until mid of the next day. Or maybe you're on a flight and you don't hear about it for hours. You know, or, or it's, you just look at it and think, nah, that's not a big thing. That's not a big deal. And you let it slide. Like when we first introduced the shopping lens stuff into Unity, we honestly had no idea that would blow up as much as it did and that Stallman would come along and say it's spyware and EFF would throw their, their gauntlet down and people would register whole domains to fix Ubuntu and in inverted commas, all that stuff. Like when it first landed, we thought, hmm, it's a bit late. This is a, possibly a bit controversial, but we had no idea it would blow up as much as it did. And yeah, maybe that's our, you know, engineering and product management and marketing not getting their heads together and like workshopping how external people will react to this thing and you know should we have an off button right in their face and you know it was just a feature that we thought was interesting and we landed in the distro and the internet went mental and that's difficult you know other times something lands and you think everyone's going to go mad and everyone's like oh no that's that's a pretty good idea like the metric stuff that, that will did he announced it on a mailing list and there are a few people who were like, they're spying on me and all this. And, but the vast majority of people were like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. They want, they need some, some metrics to determine what they spend their engineering dollars on. That makes sense. Like, um, so, so you, some, it's sometimes very difficult to know which way, which way to go, whether to go full in and build a big team and create a document and answer all the questions ahead of time or just leave it and see what happens. And do you have an official policy at Canonical then for dealing with? internet drama, people stirring it up and spreading misinformation and things. 
Uh, not, well, not really. No. I mean, um, it, it depends. If we feel like it's something that, you know, really hurts Canonical or really hurts Ubuntu, then yeah, maybe we'll, um, you know, ping someone internally and say, you know, this is a problem. Um, and product management will get together with engineers and, and so on. So for example, when we had uh, someone upload a game that had a Bitcoin miner bundled with it, you know, it's not very good for me to just tweet out, there's a security update, you know, ignore. It, it's way better to have a blog post, an announcement, someone from uh, you know, who has an overview of the architecture and people from the store team to weigh in. And so a blog post was written over the course of like three days and then it was published because you had to think about it carefully and deal with the security problem. But if it's just some random dude on the internet with, you know, an opinion, then no, we don't all, you know, have a Cobra crisis team all get together in the London office and like dial people up on the Jumbotron and all that kind of stuff. It, it Generally, it's just a case of we ping a couple of emails or someone will chat to someone on IRC or whatever and say, what do you think? Should we reply to this? Yes or no? And it might be no, it might be yes. It's It, it really depends on the case. And being a smaller organization, Dan, does that mean that you can react more quickly or less quickly? I suppose there's less bureaucracy, fewer people to have to approve things with, but then fewer eyes looking for the stuff in the first place. Yeah, I don't really think that there's any like advantage there. Um, it was just like Alan said earlier, you know, there is the ever-present issue of sometimes things happen when we're asleep. Um, you know, years ago when we embraced the uh, pay what you want as our primary financial model, uh, we made a blog post about these are the design decisions behind why we're making this change. And we threw it up there and then went to bed. And then the next morning it was, you know, elementary says you're a bunch of freeloading, thieving, blind, cheating bastards. And we're like, whoa, what the fuck? You know, and like jumped onto like every podcast we could and went through and like amended the blog post. And then we were like, okay, everything that anybody had a problem with, we totally rewrote it. And we like issued like all the statements about like, Hey, like that's totally not what anybody said. And you know, and that stuff follows you for years, you know, it, you never know what somebody is going to latch onto and what's going to be a major issue um, that you would have never thought about. And that you don't even have the chance to reconcile it until it's already this huge thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That was a significant number of years ago. It was it like five years ago or something. Do you still get shit for it now? Oh, yeah. And um, on uh, our Linux, especially, it's a huge meme. But I feel like it's kind of starting to die down. More people are like, hey, man, like that was years ago. Like they said a bunch of stuff that it was like, that's not what that was about. And, you know, I think we've kind of proved um, with our track record that what we really care about is like sustainability in open source funding and that we're really focused on ethical funding models and privacy and things like that. And people are starting to see like, oh, this is why they went that route. It's not because they're dicks. It's because they thought it was the best thing to do. Right. Everyone always assumes the worst. They think you're doing it for nefarious purposes. And unless you get the messaging out there that says, here's the reason why we're doing this thing. You know, it's and even then, it's never good enough. Some people will always see the worst in people, and that's fine. Use something else. Okay, another hashtag ask error. If you send someone a message and it disturbs them, whose fault is it? How do you mean disturb? Like you send them a picture from rotten.com or something, or no, I don't mean goatsy and things. I mean, right. um, 
they they are busy doing something like sleeping or relaxing and it disturbs them in that sense so you've sent them a text or some other internet message that you feel is important to send them at that time and they are offended that or upset because you have sent it to them and they have received it and they've been disturbed somehow is that the gist of this right yeah like for example i have sent uh, my brother a whatsapp message at three o'clock in the morning and it's woken him up um, this is hypothetical because I keep meaning to ask him if I can do this and whether it will disturb him, and I keep forgetting to. And I only ever remember when it's three o'clock in the morning and I want to send him a message about something and you know expect to reply the next day, but I don't know. I don't want to risk it, and so then I wait till the next day, forget, and then it's back the next day, three o'clock in the morning. Shit, what do I do? Um, I know that the likes of you guys, it's not going to disturb you. Because, and it's not going to disturb me either. I always have my phone on silent. You know, I get my messages when I want them. But I don't know. What about people who aren't technical or whatever you want to call it? Like my mum, for example, I know that I can't message her after a certain time because she leaves her phone on super loud all night. Why? Um, because she's like worried about things. I don't know. Okay. My initial response was going to be, if you're upset because you're too stupid to turn the ringer off on your phone, then it's your fucking fault, right? If I send you a message, uh, a ping at three o'clock in the morning, and I do this to like people I know, I definitely do it to Martin and, you know, other friends and people at Canonical. I'll just ping a message or share a URL into the company Slack or whatever. And if anyone gets annoyed by that, then that's their fault for not turning on Do Not Disturb or flicking the switch on their phone to make it shut up or leaving their phone in another room, for fuck's sake. But if if you get annoyed with me because you can't control your device, then that's your fault, not mine. But if you have a specific requirement that is, I have to have this phone because... I'm the medical contact person for someone in my family and I have to be able to con be contactable at all times, but please don't contact me in non-emergencies. Then yeah, I would say that's, that's a legitimate reason for you being a dick for contacting them when they said don't. Yeah. That's basically the situation with my mum, essentially. So Dan, how do you feel about this? I don't know. I, I think that I'd even say, you know, because you can, uh, oh, I don't know about on Android, but at least on iOS, you can add people uh, to be exceptions to do not disturb. So I kind of feel like, I don't know, it kind of seems like that's that's your fault, right? Like, I, I, it's kind of hard to see a situation where you've received a notification and that's not your fault for not having managed your notifications better. Um, and I, I'm not sure that it's there's a huge distinction between technical and non-technical people. Um, like uh, Karen has her phone on Do Not Disturb constantly, and to the point where it annoys me because I can't get a hold of her. But um, <laughs> I, I think that people know how to do that. You know, it, it's not a new thing anymore. And right. it just seems like it's such ubiquitous knowledge that it it's weird to me to think that, yeah, like you woke me up in the middle of the night because I – didn't turn my phone on do not disturb that kind of seems like oh the, my bad i should have done that you know i don't i don't get annoyed if somebody messages me and and i messed up and didn't do not disturb myself i only ever turn the ringer on my phone on uh once a day and that's when i go and pick my son up from school and i drive out to pick him up and i flick the phone the switch on my oneplus to turn the ringer on 
And the second I drive out the road, it starts going bling, 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 like a thousand times. All the notifications it's saved up for some reason. Yes, I know, Android. Um, and it just like pings me a thousand notifications. And then I sit there and wait. And when he phones me, like, so that we can arrange where I'm going to pick him up or whatever, then I'll see the, the f- phone ring. But under all other circumstances, the ring is off all the time. So I don't care. If you ring me in the middle of the night, I won't see it anyway. So I don't care. Right. Supplementary question then. Is it ever socially acceptable to phone someone without messaging them for their approval first? Fuck yes. It's not a protocol. It's not a protocol that you have to take someone before you phone them. That's just not a thing. That's how it has become for me. That's how I feel. I feel bad for just cold calling people. Come on, Dan, back me up here. Uh, yeah, I have to agree with Joe. I think just cold calling people is kind of weird, right? And then even there's a name for it, right? You're a cold call. Wait, no, no, no. Cold calling is randos calling you, not like if I called you, it's because we're both at scale or we're both at some conference and I'm like, oh, where's Dan? I need to find Dan so we can go out for beers. And I just phone you. Yeah, that's different though. Why? Yeah, because I think we're we're in a situation where it's expected that we're like trying to coordinate things in real time. But if it's just like we're having our own separate days and then for no reason out of nowhere, somebody calls me, it's like you are dying or there is some emergency for some reason you need to get a hold of me right now. That's fucking weird. That's really, really weird that that has become a thing because it always used to be that you just phone your friends like, oh, yeah, I'll phone Dave and find out what he's up to. Oh, hello, Dave. What are you up to? Right. Let's go down the pub or, you know, I'll phone my mum and see how she is or phone the mother-in-law and ask her if she wants to come over for Sunday lunch. I won't text her and say, I'm about to phone you protocol five and then like <laughs> phone her and then say, I have, this is me. I've messaged you. This is now me phoning you. Do you want to come for Sunday lunch? Or something? It's just weird. I don't know where that came from. No, what I do is I text you free question mark. Yeah. And they say yes. And then you call them. Yeah. It feels more like you're, you're setting up a call in like a professional situation where you just wouldn't yeah. just call somebody. Like you don't know what they're doing with their day. You just like, Hey, are you free to jump on a call real quick? Yeah, exactly. What, how, when did we suddenly become so fucking busy? That if a phone rang, you can't just go, oh, it's Alan. Let's pick it up and have a chat. Parallelization of tasks. We're constantly multitasking. Wow. The world sucks. Right. I'm going to phone you over the next week or so. <laughs> I'm just going to randomly phone you for a chat and you'll see what I mean. Get one of those caller services and just phone you all the time. <laughs> Sometime after Wednesday, because I'll be in America. And that'll be even more fun because you can phone me at random times and I'm in a completely different time zone. And yeah, maybe it will be like four (laughs) o'clock in the morning and I will say, fuck off, Joe. But maybe not. We'll see. Right. I want to talk about on demand versus live streaming. So there was a time before the internet, kids. I don't know if you remember this, Dan, but me and Popey definitely do, where you got to watch TV. And that was obviously all live, well, pre-recorded or whatever. Anyway, it was live was the, the main thrust of it. And then the internet came along. And I remember internet radio, where people were live streaming radio, not video because there wasn't the bandwidth then. But then people realized, well, that's just really inconvenient. And then podcasts and YouTube were born, and it was all about being on demand. But then recently, over the last few years, Twitch has just become massive And it's not just Twitch. Now there's YouTube live streaming and even audio live streaming is making a bit of a resurgence. And it just seems like really weird to me that 
we've gone back to this the idea of live streaming. And as someone who likes to edit things and present them properly, it just scares me. I don't want to live in a world where live streaming is the main thing. I want to be in an on-demand world. So presumably you two have noticed this. And I suppose, yeah, tell me about your entertainment habits. Like how much live streaming versus on demand do you watch dan for example so i'm not that young joe i remember saturday morning <laughs> cartoons waking up butt ass early to watch some power rangers i mean that was that was what you did um but i i think the difference um actually is interactivity like live stream is a different medium um especially twitch because the streamers are interacting with the twitch chat so it's it's a totally different kind of medium or you can do like a question and answer if you're doing it like a tutorial situation people can be like oh wait i missed that you can go back and review i think it's i think it's a different kind of interactive medium as opposed to like if you are just consuming a video or um a, a show of some kind that you're a passive observer then on demand is obviously better it's also where you do it. I completely agree with Dan, like the, the, the interactivity part of live stream. Like I've said this before that there are live streams, Linuxy nerdy live streams that I will watch. And it's basically someone just chatting and playing a game and talking about what they're up to that week. But the chat is a bunch of friends. And I, I feel like these live streams are like my Linux user group. It's a bunch of people with a common shared interest and someone is like master of ceremonies or uh, like, on that particular day, this person is playing a game or demonstrating a distro or whatever it is they're doing, a tutorial or whatever. But the people who are in the chat are the members of the community, the lug, the, the user group, if you like. And, and I used to, I used to really enjoy going to Linux user groups. I'd drive 50 miles to get there and 50 miles back. And, and it was really enjoyable, but it's, it's definitely not the same thing as sitting down at five o'clock on a Friday to watch Cracker Jack or like, or you know, sit at a specific time because partly because you do it on your own device, in your own space, anywhere on the planet. Whereas live telly, as you described it was, you have to go to the television room where the television is and you have to sit down and wait for the TV company to send you the thing that you want to watch. Whereas, you know, I could be out in the street, and some, I get a notification that someone's gone live. And while I'm walking to the shop, I can be listening or watching on my phone. It's a very different experience. You can do, I, I, wa I watch live streamers while I'm making dinner. Whereas the Saturday night TV, I would stop doing everything and go and sit in front of the telly. It's, it's a very different way of consuming content. But if you can't interact with the person who's live streaming, where's the value? Well, I can. Because I use my laptop in the kitchen and I have like YouTube up and the, and the chat's on the right. And yeah, okay. My laptop keyboard gets covered in gunk because I'm cooking something and I want to weigh in with my two penneth. And so I quickly wipe my hands and start bashing away on the keyboard. So yeah, I do interact with them. Yeah, totally. All right. Yeah. Cause I picture cooking as you don't want to be touching your devices because you just get all eggs or whatever all over them. So yeah, no, I'm a scruff bag. It's fine. Hey, Siri, write winky face emoji, <laughs> LOL, comma. But having having kids, 
um, I've actually started to try and get the kids back into the sitting down on a Saturday night watching a TV program. And for the last few years, it's actually quite a few years now, five or six years, we've had Saturday nights where the kids put their devices away and we are not like in a, you know, you will put your device away, but they just put it away because we're going to sit in front of the telly and mostly watch something on BBC, like some light comedy thing or... Uh, the kids really like uh, Taskmaster on Dave and um, what's that thing with the uh, Friday night dinner. Um, there's a couple of shows that the kids really like. And so I make something nice to eat while they're playing on their devices. I make a nice dinner and then we all sit down at like seven o'clock and watch something on the telly. And it's almost live. Often it's, you know, I recorded it half an hour earlier uh, so it's it's similar to that whole experience of sitting down in front of the telly on a Saturday night that I'm kind of recreating, but we get to choose what we watch and we skip all the adverts. Kind of tangentially, I feel like there's something too about having things released in a way that starts a conversation between people. Like I, even if something isn't interactive, but in a way that um, it, it is that idea of forming a, a, like a community or a group around something like an announcement live stream, right? Where everybody's anticipating that, you know, company, whatever is going to release their new product. And we're all excited to go watch the live stream. And then we discuss it afterwards with our friends or, um, a television show that is airing at a certain time. And your friends all watch this television show together and we're excited for the new one to come out. And then we all talk about it afterwards. Like there's this very like time sensitive kind of like idea of this thing is going to be released and then we're going to discuss it as a group as opposed to like, oh, did you get to episode four yet? Oh, you know, and like uh, three years later, oh, I finally watched that thing. And it's not I don't know. It, it's not the same as yeah. that idea of of all the people kind of getting together around this thing. You have to burn through episodes really fast on Netflix so that people don't spoil it for you. Um like there's a there's a series I'm watching on uh, on Netflix at the moment. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but the BBC put a news article out today which revealed like something that happened in the very last episode, and that scrolled past on Twitter. I was like, "Fuck it!" Now I now I know what's <laughs> going to happen in like episode six or something. Um, so yeah, it does it does make you want to watch like a binge watch, um, and the capability that you can binge watch is just like awesome. Yeah, it's like I watched Russian Doll recently in one evening and one afternoon. Same. I watched it watched it at Fosdem in one night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was only like four hours or something. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Look forward to a second series if they do one. But one aspect of this is actually being behind the camera or the microphone. I feel so much more comfortable doing this with you guys than I do being on a live stream for LUP or whatever. Um, because I just know that if I say something stupid, then I can just edit it. If I say something stupid, then I can just edit it out of this. <laughs> you got to leave that in. You got to leave that in. <laughs> okay, I'll leave that in. There you go. There's a, a glimpse behind the curtain. So yes, I have the ability to edit stuff like that out, whereas live, you just have to keep going. And it just makes me stressed. I don't know. Maybe I should just get used to it. It is stressful. I've been doing a few live streams over the last few weeks for for my job. and. 
uh, I have to prep well in advance and know that every command that I'm going to run is going to work. It's not just like fluffing your words. There's like, you know, you could run a command and something's changed on your laptop and now that command doesn't work the same anymore. Or a website that you were demoing yesterday, you demo today and the website designer has moved something and you're like, wait, what? And it makes you look like an idiot when you're on a live stream as if you don't know the product you're trying to demo. And so, yeah, that is super stressful, really stressful. Um, but I still like doing it. Or you could accidentally show a dick pic like Uncle Leo did that time. <laughs> It's definitely different and it is hard. And I feel like doing a podcast like this, just hanging out with you guys for an hour, it's, it doesn't feel like work, but doing a live stream, I feel like an hour long live stream afterwards, I'm just exhausted. And I'm like, yeah. I need to walk away from everything. Cause this is like, I'm constantly like trying to make sure there's no dead air and I'm doing everything right. And am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Am I reading the comments? Uh, uh, you know? Yeah. That's why I don't like doing it. And I've, great admiration for people who can do it and make it look natural and easy because for me it's just too stressful man that's why i generally stick to edited podcasts thank you very much okay let's end with a hashtag ask error then and this one i think came from you popey should you prepare for the apocalypse the answer is obviously no, because you're better off dead in that situation. But maybe I'm a glass half empty man. Well, it depends what your definition of apocalypse is. You know, is it the government coming to take away your house or is it your neighbors uh, building a big wall? You know, what's your definition of apocalypse? Zombies, aliens? Um, I would say probably having to use under 50 megabits per second internet. <laughs> <laughs> so I. Uh, thing that made me think about this was like every so often I see things pop up on YouTube and they're like people who are outdoorsy kind of people who have bags prepped like bug out bags that have stuff in them like big knives and fire lighting equipment and waterproof matches and you know small amount of clothing and uh, you know, some money and medical equipment and all that kind of stuff in a bag so that if anything happened they could just bug out and leave if they needed to and i i don't know under what situation i would want to do that but i really want one of these bags <laughs> i don't i don't know why i just really I've, I've started putting um like we sometimes get snow in this country and we're so ill-equipped to deal with snow that i've put stuff in the boot of my car in these plastic boxes that are just like Stuff that would, would be actually quite good to have, like a couple of bottles of water and, you know, a few bits of bobs and hand warmers and, you know, wipes and tissues and you know, just a load of stuff in the back of the car. And I'm getting dangerously close to buying buying more stuff and putting it in there. And then I'm thinking, <laughs> well, why don't I put that in a bag? And then it doesn't have to live in the back of my car. It can live somewhere that I can easily grab it. And then I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm a prepper. And, you know. <laughs> Karen and I have definitely talked about putting together some kind of go bag um, because there are little things that sometimes when you're out and just the weather changes, you're like, oh, God, I wish that we had a spare umbrella just in the car all the time. Or, you know, they like the hand warmers or a pair of gloves or a change of shoes or socks or just like basic things that you're like, oh, I stepped in a puddle. Like, I really wish I had this thing, um, you know, a granola bar. Uh, you know, I unexpectedly have to be somewhere and I'm unable to get lunch for some reason, right? So I just need a snack handy. I, I don't think it's weird or it necessarily has to be like the ultimate end of time apocalypse for it to be a good idea to have a, a go bag. Well, I constantly carry a backpack around if I'm not at home. And that has got my Anchor portable battery in it with 
uh, USB-C, micro-USB, and lightning cables, just in case I need to help someone out. Uh, it's got paracetamols in it, I think. I think it's got a pen or two. <laughs> this is not the same. This is not the same. I, I'm pretty prepared, man. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. All right. That's the like the modern-day prep is like make sure you've got enough charge in your phone basically yeah that's it exactly right i i did install a an app on um a tablet i set a tablet up with a few bits and bobs on it and one of them was a there's a survival guide app in the uh, android store and it's a fully offline repository of information uh for survival so that in the event that something went wrong it's got all details of how you light a fire and how you get clean water and like it's got everything in there building structures and making beds and all that kind of stuff it's fascinating reading i will never use any of this information i like to hope but you never know well brexit is happening soon indeed exactly (laughs) 